The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 12th chapter. In his teaching, Jesus said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. I want you to put on hold whatever thoughts you have about the poor widow in our gospel lesson. Just pause for a moment so we can take a step back and see the bigger picture. It's easy to turn the scriptures into a fable. If you put the widow's mite into the same category as the tortoise and the hare, you're going to get a certain kind of lesson that really misses the point. The lesson isn't simply that Two pennies can be worth more than a million dollars. It isn't simply that it's better to be anonymous than showy in your giving. Of course, both are true. You can only give well if you give in faith, trusting that God will care for you even in poverty and that he will put your gift to good use. But today, as we draw nearer and nearer to the end of the gospel, it's important to know that Jesus hasn't come to teach us how to be like the poor widow. Instead, he has come to deal with widowhood. He has come to deal with poverty. He has come to deal with death. But the solution that Jesus brings is not like so many social justice movements. Jesus is not an activist. Although he suffers and dies in what could be seen as solidarity with the poor widow, solidarity isn't enough. It's not enough because human corruption runs so deep. Every institution made with human hands, even those that aim to do real good in the world, every institution is subject to decay. And so if we gathered here on a Sunday morning to learn how to be like the widow, we would eventually ruin that too. We might do all right for a while, but sooner or later, every institution built on our efforts buckles under the weight of our sin. It's helpful to know how that comes about. There's a great example to be found in the 1986 Challenger space shuttle disaster. Sociologists have used this story to illustrate the incremental and subtle process of corruption that can happen in any institution. It's a process by which things that are bad slowly become called good, bit by bit. 
there was a crucial component on the space shuttle, the O-ring. You've probably heard of it. This component had seen damage in previous launches, but after each launch, instead of addressing the problem properly, the standards for performance were adjusted bit by bit to define a new acceptable risk so that everyone could keep working as though everything were just fine. After lots of launches and lots of little adjustments to the standards, a completely unacceptable risk had gradually become acceptable. And the results were tragic and disastrous. This sheds some light on what's going on in our gospel lesson this morning. First appear the scribes. The description of their habits is almost laughable. It's outrageous. They are completely self-absorbed, and they devour widows' houses. Now, that's not mere self-absorption. That's cruel and inhumane. It should go without saying that a widow, a woman who has lost her husband and hence her livelihood, should receive particular care and concern. It's a basic failure of any society not to provide for those who cannot provide for themselves. But apparently, the scribes were not concerned with the welfare of the widows. In fact, it's really much worse than that. They pretended to be concerned. The scribes were at least in some part responsible for ensuring that the widows received their rights. But whatever benefits the widows may have received, the cost was clearly far greater than their gain. The scribes devoured their houses. The worst part isn't the pretense. It's that all of this injustice was perpetrated in God's name, under the aegis of the temple. So what was at risk was not just the bodies of the widows, but their souls. Those wicked shepherds, as Jesus said, would receive the greater condemnation. Now how did it get to be that way? How did the temple become such a corrupt institution so that it accomplishes the exact opposite of what it was meant for? How do you get to be a community that takes advantage of widows? This isn't just some fluke that happens now and again. All human institutions tend toward the same corruption. Perhaps we could spot the incremental process by which it gradually became okay to devour widows' houses, but really, to explain it, to explain the Challenger space shuttle disaster, to explain how the scribes got to be so inhumane, we have to go back to the beginning. We have to go back to how there came to be widows in the first place. It happened in the garden when Adam and Eve believed a subtle lie. A lie that took something that was bad for them and bit by bit turned it into something that sounded quite good. They worked themselves into a world where they thought that God didn't love them and that God didn't want what was best for them and so they didn't trust God. And then one day... As they ate the fruit and thought that now they could really begin to live, they discovered that they had in fact begun to die. We have been prone to believe such lies ever since. We are not unlike the scribes. We're not immune from being self-assured, from all of a sudden discovering one day that we've fallen in love with the external glamour of our institutions, 
all of the wonderful things in our lives, our homes, our families, our marriages, our jobs, our schools, our sports, our charity, our church. We're not immune from discovering one day that for the apparent glory of all of the things that we love so much, widows' houses have been devoured. The psalmist puts it this way, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Even the very best things we have, as long as we're the ones building them, cannot save us. And that's why the rest of the story, the rest of the gospel, is so important. Jesus hasn't come to make us better people by teaching us how to be like the poor widow. And he hasn't come to live and die in solidarity with those who suffer. What saves the world is not Jesus making a statement or you and me trying to do better next time. What saves the world is that Jesus became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. Jesus instituted something brand new. When Jesus dies, he takes with him to the grave everything we've built, the corruption of the temple, of the scribes, of every human institution, of every sinner. He doesn't reform the world. He buries it in the tomb. He defeats death and closes the grave. And when he rises from the dead, he rises as a new temple, a temple not made with human hands, a temple built around a perfect sacrifice, his own flesh and blood, a temple that is not corruptible, a temple that makes holy all who worship there in spirit and in truth. Jesus rises as a new kind of priest, a priest who doesn't need to go into the Holy of Holies year after year to make imperfect sacrifices that cannot save us from death. He rises as a priest who entered once for all into the holy place, offering not the blood of bulls and goats, but his own precious blood for the sins of the world. He is a priest who will not take advantage and will not devour. Jesus came to live and die and rise to save us from our institutions, to save us when we fall in love with their glory, and to save us when we fall victim to their corruption. That salvation is why we're here. That salvation is what makes the church such a miraculous place. It's why the church can carry on, even in this world of constantly failing institutions. We don't have to fear such disasters. As long as we have Jesus, as long as we have his body and blood, his baptism, his word and promises, we are safe. The widows and the fatherless are safe. Even the scribes and the Pharisees can be safe. This is no fable. There is no moral to this tale. Instead, what we have is a promise, and that is far, far better. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. amen.